0: Jesus, we do turn our eyes now to our Good Shepherd, the lover of the sheep, the shepherd of the sheep, the keeper of the sheep. And we heard your voice in the past and we came to you to find life, but we hear your voice. every day we need to hear your voice every day and especially when we come on the first of the week to gather with the church to devote ourselves to the apostles teaching we recognize that it is the teaching of christ it is in the scripture the voice of christ so speak to us jesus through your spirit to the glory of the father today May we hear your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May be seated. This past week, my sisters. First and only grandchild, Lucy, passed away just before the age of three. And our family is heartbroken over this. Yet, uh, we grieve as those who are not hopeless because we do know. We know where Lucy is, that she is with our good shepherd Jesus Christ. And my brother in law John reminded me that as believers in Christ, we are actually positionally and really seated right now already seated in the heavenly places already seated where lucy is getting mature first-hand experience in the heavenly places in christ jesus brothers and sisters it is reality that we through faith in jesus right now, are experiencing eternal life. Eternal life has begun even now. What John calls in John chapter 10, the abundant life. Life abundantly found in the Good Shepherd. Yes, will it be experienced to its fullness then when we see Him, but eternal life begins. The abundant life in Christ begins The moment we believe it's found only in the Good Shepherd and I'll tell you we're not continuing on in Luke this week because my family needed the Good Shepherd this week and I have a sneaking suspicion as my dad would say that you need the Good Shepherd today as well so take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10 Thank you, Brian, for reading an extended section to set the context as we jump in to John chapter 10. Find verse 1 of John chapter 10 as Jesus is going to speak kind of an extended uh, metaphor of, of salvation of His people called the sheep. He's the good shepherd, we're the sheep in this picture, which would be common In that culture but it's not so common for us today so we'll take some explanation as we go and really I think in John chapter 10 there is a a day in the life of a shepherd it really starts in the morning when the doorkeeper who is supposed to make sure the right shepherd uh, speaks and calls by name the shepherd uh, the sheep to come out and to gather and those sheep would then go out into the green pastures for the day and they would Set up a temporary sheepfold uh, for some of those hours during the day and then towards the end when the wolves would come we're getting towards nightfall. And Jesus is speaking of a whole day in the life of a shepherd. I preached ten sermons on this in the past so I can't unpack everything here but there's so much here for us. We pick it up with the morning scene in verse 1 of John chapter 10. Truly, truly I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Okay, so the good good shepherd, the real shepherd, is going to go right to the doorkeeper and not sneak in and try to take the sheep. He's going to go through the right uh, channels. Namely, the doorkeeper. He's the legitimate shepherd. To him, the doorkeeper opens, verse 3, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Fluffy, come here. Spot, let's go. And he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so they're heading out, right, early morning into the shepherd or into the pasture land. A stranger, verse 5, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what, what those things were which he had been saying to them. So in verses 1-6, through 6, you've got the Good Shepherd, you've got Jesus the Messiah. He is, he is gathering His sheep. He, he's, picture it as the, the, the sheepfold in the morning. That's sort of external religion. And Jesus is calling His sheep out into the good pastures, into the, the, the blessings, the experience of the blessings that we would call eternal life itself. Okay, now let's pick it up, and really our focus will be in verses 7 through 10. And we are to remember now this is kind of midday. Now the picture changes. We have, we have the good shepherd who constructs, probably with his team, a temporary hold, a temporary sheepfold out in the hills. Okay? There's no time to whip up an oak door, he himself is the door. The only way in to the place of blessing, in this case, that sheepfold in the green pastures. Are you with me? So let's pick it up then in verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus Himself, He says in that temporary sheepfold that He's going to build out on the plush green grass of, of the fields, He is the door of blessing he is the door of eternal blessing he is the door in the greek text ego amy i am the door there is no other door to the place of eternal blessing there is one door you can try to climb over but if you don't go in you won't receive the blessing there is one door and jesus says i am the door so it's a very restricted route to eternal blessing. But it's a very unrestricted offer in verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. If, verse 9, if anyone enters through me, anyone enters through Jesus, and you will find life in Him. So we find that believing True saving faith in Jesus Christ is not entering to your right or entering to your left, climbing up over the fence by your good works. It's entering through Jesus who lays down His life for the sheep to enter as He he Himself is the door of the sheep. Now, why is the shepherd Jesus gathering His sheep? That's what we find out in verses 9 and 10. what are, What's the results? What are the, these eternal blessings I keep speaking of in which when we enter through Jesus into the sheepfold of blessings, what are they? Because that's what Jesus has done. He has a people, He has the sheep, and He wants to bring them together into fellowship with the triune God, into these eternal blessings. And so let's read again about the entrance into these eternal blessings. I want you to see it in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So in our text this morning, there are four eternal blessings that are mentioned. There are four glorious eternal blessings that are mentioned for everyone, for anyone who would enter in through the Good Shepherd. First, blessing mentioned, the fountain of all other blessings. Number one blessing. Of entering in through Jesus. He will be saved. If I was in Africa, I would have got an amen on the salvation one. He will be saved. The first blessing, the uh, the fountain of all blessings, eternal blessings, is saved we're saved we will be not might be not if we work hard enough not if we do this and that for 50 years and then are better than the next guy no we will be saved from what well this is again a picture of spiritual realities Look at the, la- the second-to-last word, or maybe the third-to-last word in the Greek text, in verse 41 in the context, in John chapter 9. What is the context? Look at it, verse 41. Sin. Do you see that? Sin is the context. Sin is an eternal killer. Sin that leads to eternal death in the lake of fire. Weapons wielded by the enemy, the thief and the robbers, and directly the wolf himself, capital W, Satan himself and his dominions, that seek to rob you, to kill you. And to destroy you. And since we're talking spiritual, we're talking about forever death, forever killing, robbing you of all joy forever. Those are some significant enemies in the context. We shall be saved, then, is kind of important and so full. And in the context of the book of John, John chapter 3, verse 36 he who believes in the Son has eternal life not not will have has it right now has eternal life but he who does not obey the son will not see life but the wrath of God for his sin right the wrath of God abides on him or John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, that's the hearing, the voice of the shepherd, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. So, what salvation is, is you enter that threshold outside of the safety of Christ through Christ who lays at the door, through Him laying His life down for you, you enter into the place of blessings. As You step out of death and into eternal life. It's as if your sin, which was on you like a big burden as in Pilgrim's Progress, you leave it at the door. You can't bring your works in. You come naked and helpless and your sin tumbles out the outside of the door and you enter in through Jesus, free from your sin and forgiven. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You've passed out of death and into life. So it's not just Christian ease. He'll be saved. Let's read on. No. It is finished and it begins the moment you believe your sin is gone. It's the fountainhead for all and every eternal blessing. It's the fountainhead of eternal life, which begins when? The moment you believe, you enter in to eternal life. So this is the heart of our shepherd. He goes after his sheep, his lost and wandering and straying, all the metaphors in the Bible, straying sheep that are about to head, to destruction. He goes after them. He goes after His sheep. You don't become a sheep because you believe. You believe because you're part of the sheep. He comes after you. And He speaks. And the sheep hear His voice. ears are unplugged to hear. And they enter in to... Eternal blessings, the first and fountainhead of all the blessings is salvation. Number two, the second eternal blessing is he will be safe, S-A-F-E, safe. Let's look at the text, verse 9, if anyone enters through me, number one, he will be saved and will go in and out. I'm not talking about Uncle Joe. I'm not talking about In-N-Out Burger, California. It's a Hebrew idiom. To go in and out. It doesn't mean, and I want an amen on this one, it doesn't mean that you go in and out of eternal life based on your works. No, it's a Hebrew idiom. In Jesus' day, they'd understand it. I have to explain it. The idea of going in and out, so you're in the sheepfold, the shepherd, now you're going out, you're wandering around gathering berries, and you're going back into the... Right? You're moving around with freedom and joy and contentment and familiarity because you are safe and secure. Since you're in the presence of the shepherd... You've been saved. You're safe. You can rest. And so you have the freedom and liberty to wander about in his presence, to live life for him in the presence of your good shepherd. Let me give you an illustration. It's a hard concept. Think of a big mansion. I'm going to scare the kids, so get ready. It's midnight. You're unfamiliar with this big house. It's creepy. You're alone. It's dark. And you're hearing things in that big house. Do you feel safe? Do you feel protected? Do you have the freedom to move? No. If you have a bed, you will find the covers and you will hide underneath them and freeze. You don't want to wiggle a muscle. No freedom to move. However, same mansion, same countryside, same house, but it's grandma's house at Christmas time. And the music is playing, and the scents of cookies are in the air, and the lights are on. You feel safe and secure and protected, and you are willing and confident to live and to move and to breathe and to move all over the place. You go in and out with confidence and joy. That's the feeling of this word. It's a safety and security from our salvation that leads to living and freedom. This is eternal life. Communion with Christ and familiarity with with Him. And so, believer, are you an in-and-out Christian? Are you paralyzed? I don't even know if I've ever entered the sheepfold. I don't even know if I'm running a race. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Paralysis. You can't obey Christ if you don't even know you're saved. What's the first blessing? Saved. If we don't have that, we won't be safe and there won't be any abundant life here and now. No experience of eternal life. So many Christians. And there's good reasons to be paralyzed, I suppose, by fear, but the devil's got us doing circles on the issue of assurance, as if you could assure yourself by your works. Safety and security leads to freedom for movement and obedience out of knowing that you know that you are saved. Assurance is the key to an in and out life. That you're complete in Christ. So that you can free to live and to move and to serve others and constantly thinking about yourself. Am I saved or am I not saved? I, 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 I. Can't serve that way. To serve and to fight sin and to love others and to stretch out yourself for others at great cost to yourself comes when you are saved. And then you can change that diaper for the hundredth time with a measure of joy. Do that tenth load of laundry and make that meal and clean the garage and earn that paycheck, at that dead-end job, in and out, back and forth, safe in the arms of Christ, serving Christ. So that we'd be able to say like Paul could in Second Timothy 1.12 I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Number one, He will be saved. Number two, He will be safe. And third, and related, He will be sustained. He will find pasture. You will be sustained now Palestine was extremely dry in most areas for most of the time a very arid land and so good pasture wasn't easy to find and so finding pasture is quite a picture of 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 water and good food water that's not polluted because it's stagnant and uh, plants that are really full of nutrition not weedy and plants that would kill you And our shepherd delights in um, having us go in and out in verse 9 and find pasture. Now, spiritually, that means our shepherd, um, in an experience of eternal life, even now, wants to do two things. One, he gives us pasture, which implies two things. One, he wants to feed us. He wants to feed us good food and water. The living water and good food. That is the Word of God. This is true sustenance. Through the Spirit. The living water of the Spirit. The Word of God. This is true life as we feed upon the Word of God. We grow and are strengthened and we will be sustained a part of the beginnings of eternal life, even now. As Ezekiel 34, speaking of God our shepherd, says in Ezekiel 34, verse 14, this is where this metaphor comes from in John 10, by the way, if you want to read about it, in Ezekiel 34. But verse 14 says, God is speaking, which says something about the good shepherd, doesn't it? When God is our good shepherd... Psalm 23, I feed them in a good pasture, so it's about feeding, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest declares the Lord God and so part of the sustenance that he gives us is his voice in the word of God and the sheep are hungry for this not like they go ah you know that grass not eating it you know that water that looks so good that's fresh and cool not drinking it no no they're sheep that's what you do that's what you hunger for the heart you've been given. That's the thirst that you have. But we're discontented creatures like sheep. Sheep, we're edgy, tense creatures. Or we're timid and fearful and wonder, can we go to the edge of that water and not get destroyed by a predator? We're fearful, we're tended, we're, we're timid. And so, yeah, there's opposition and fear that would keep us from rest and that would keep us from nourishing in the Word of God, but our Good Shepherd, one of the provisions of life even now is He will what? He will sustain us. He will sustain us in the Word of God. False shepherds desire to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come the Good Shepherd says, in order that they may have life and have it abundantly. Saved. Safe. Sustenance. And third, and we'll end with this, and finally, he will be satisfied. He will be satisfied. He will have abundant life. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came, very emphatic, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right now, we have, a good translation would be an overflowing sort of life. We know a surplus life, a decent translation. Hard to translate it. A life that exceeds All possibilities and expectations. He will be satisfied. Oh, we're so scared to talk about abundant life in our circles. Come on. I'm going to make you wait for a minute while I sip my water and think about it. Now, did The cursed blind man from John chapter 9, who had nothing, who was thought by the whole culture, including the religious leaders, of being cursed by God, to be so cursed as to be born blind. Did he have an inheritance? Did he have a decent job? Did he have a. He had nothing. He had no money. He had nothing. But. He had Jesus. He fell at His feet and He worshipped Him. In fact, He was kicked out of the synagogue. So He had less than nothing. Which meant in that culture, He had no social standing, let alone religious standing with God. He had nothing. And yet, He had Jesus and He had eternal life and the abundant life. He didn't whip it up and get a good job and get things figured out and then have the abundant life. So, Don't be concerned. The abundant life is the opposite of this world's definition of health and wealth and worldly prosperity. It's a lie that that's where the abundant life finds. If you go that route, ultimately you'll be stolen from. You'll have a lot, but your life, your soul will be stolen from you. You'll be killed and you'll be destroyed in the lake of fire. So it's not health, wealth, and prosperity this guy had no savings or popularity or possessions. He was cast out of the synagogue. No. What does the satisfying eternal life that begins right now, what does it look like? Well, it starts with it the, the fountainhead of it is it's we're saved. We're saved from sin and death. And, and we know it. We know that it's finished because our salvation is about Jesus and His work, And so we're safe and we can move in and out. And we're sustained in the wisdom to move in and out through the Word of God. And we move in rest. And so there's a sense of this Word of abundant life. Yes, that contentment is there in Christ. And there's growth in the Word of God and wisdom and strengthening through the Word of God that is the abundant life. There's joy that is in that. But we know that the abundant life in this passage is certainly just a metaphor for eternal life. And so John himself gets at really what the abundant life is in John 17, verse 3, just listen. Where he writes, this is eternal life. Or you could say, this is the abundant life. This is life and having it abundantly. This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen. Those who have not yet bent the knee to Jesus and found life, it's knowing Jesus It's relationship with Him. That is eternal life. Jesus isn't a genie. A good genie that you get to rub for your anxiety or rub for your problems or rub for this problem or rub for that problem. Jesus, I need help, but now I'm good. I need help now. He's not that. That's not Christianity. Christianity, eternal life, is knowing Jesus. Praise God, all these things will be added to us as well. (laughs) Anxiety stuff. It's knowing Jesus. And He's wonderful. It's the Good Shepherd. He goes on to talk about Himself, which unless you're the God-man, would be sort of presumptuous. I am, ego eimi, the great I am. I am the Good Shepherd, He says. What does that mean, the Good Shepherd? That word good means beautiful, or lovely, or noble. Knowing me, the Good Shepherd, that relationship is eternal life. So, there's this relationship with Christ that is the abundant life. There's the presence of Christ. It's relationship with the Shepherd. I know, I think it's fair because the text goes there. What is that relationship like? Which then gives us a feel for what it is, what this knowing of Jesus looks like, and why it's so? Wonderful. So look at it in verse 12. Number one, we are as sheep. We are the personal possession of the shepherd. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now, so you are the personal possession of the God-man. You are the sheep of his pasture. He owns you. In those days, the shepherd would say, hey, Frank, I don't know that Frank's probably not a good biblical Palestinian name, but Frank, how many, you know, how much, how you doing financially? Well, I got about 150 sheep. A shepherd and their financial status would be measured by the ownership of sheep. But not a hireling, some false shepherd. He's just hired on, doesn't really care, doesn't really own the sheep, take them or leave them, doesn't love them. Not our good shepherd. He owns us. How does the God man do losing his stuff? You're his people. He loves you with an everlasting love. You're His personal possession. He calls you by name. He knows Jeff and Bobby, Gabe. He knows our name. He knows all about us. So one of the aspects of knowing Jesus is to know that we are His personal possession. He cares about us. And that leads us to, number two, his individual care of us. In verse 13, he was a hired hand, verse 12, and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, why does he run? Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So, what is the experience of this relationship with with christ he knows us he's he doesn't uh he's he cares for us he's concerned about us and he ought to be i mean we're a mess concerned is a good word needing care is fair i mean sheep are help. okay we're sheep so let's we don't know what sheep are like, so let's talk about sheep. Are helpless by themselves. Sheep are not bright. I'm not looking at anybody. It's just unfortunate when I look up at certain points in the sermon. It's the worst. Sheep wander aimlessly sometimes and get themselves in a world of hurt in different crevasses and under you know thorn bushes and so on. Um, sheep don't have particularly good you know, hands to get rid of parasites and flies. They, sheep will actually walk straight into open fire. <gasps> They're easily frightened, and there's a horrible propensity, if you get a little chubby as a sheep, to actually be cast, which means if you trip you, in a hole, you can fall under your back, your feet are up, and you'll go into cardiac arrest if not for the shepherd being near you and turning you back over and saving your life. And Jesus, our good shepherd, He has individual care of us. He knows all about you. He knows just how you are as His sheep. And He tends you and He loves you and He's concerned about And He he cares for you. And you know what else? When it gets hard and the going gets rough, is He going to run? Is He a hired hand? He will not flee, which is the most beautiful aspect of eternal life now. We're not going to Him. He's coming to us in the presence of the Spirit. He is with us. He won't flee, which means He's here. He'll never leave us or... Personal possession. Individual care. Which leads to verses 14 and 15. Intimate knowledge too. Look at this. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. Put your seatbelt on. Put your theological seatbelt on. Everyone do it. Click. Here we go. I know my own and my own knows me even as or just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid my life down. For the sheep. I'm not going to explain that. I'm just going to let it sit. Imagine the inter Trinitarian knowledge and love. And somehow, as sheep being in Christ, in union with Christ, were swept up into this relationship that the love that the Father has for the Son were swept up into that love relationship. Jesus loves me, this I know. This is incredible, intimate knowledge. And that word for knowledge does include stuff about you. But it's the word for an intimate knowledge. It's Cain knew his wife and she conceived. That's intimate. It's a love. It's an intimate knowledge. And this is how He relates to us. He knows all about us he knows all about me he knows about the sore on my leg he comes near to me he knows me my name and he loves me intimately he feels where I'm damaged and he passes me over the rod and puts the rod so I can feel bumps and he binds my wounds up he knows my blemishes and my congenital anomalies. He knows, and he gets rid of my parasites and my fleas, and he touches me, and he cares for me, and he loves me warts and parasites and all. An intimate knowledge. He knows all about you, believer. And yet he loves us still. Personal possession, individual care, intimate knowledge and he'll never leave us or forsake us we have in all of those things his presence and his presence that is knowing jesus and that is the abundant life how in the world are stray sheep sinful stray sheep like us brought into these eternal blessings Five times he says it in this passage, the answer to the question of how. Five. He says it this way. Here's how I did it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How much does he love us? Died for us. He took on that sin at the end of chapter 9, that condemnation, he took upon himself all of it to rescue us forever. He laid down his life, who bear on behalf of us substitutionary atonement. Now typically the sheep kind of like the shepherd to stay alive when the wolves are coming. But these wolves are so dangerous. The wolves of sin and death, demonically empowered by the devil himself. And the wages of sin is death. Someone must die to rescue his sheep to bring His people into the place of eternal blessings, the Shepherd Himself is run through. Strike the Shepherd, Zechariah says. He's stricken for His sheep. You see, the Father, from before times eternal, gave a people to the Son. He gave a people out of a mass of fallen, dead, sinful damned humanity. The Father gave a people and He gave them to the Son. Will you go for them? And He said, I will go. And He went and He took upon flesh. He came down to this earth as our shepherd and He lived that perfect life. He never went astray, not once. He went up to the cross of Calvary and died the death that we deserved. He laid His life down for the sheep. He has taken on our destruction. He was robbed blind, naked upon the tree. He was killed in our place. He was given over to the thieves and the wolves for six hours. That we might... But... Praise the Lord. The resurrection is here. I will take it up again. I laid down my life. I did it voluntarily, but I'll take it up again. I will be alive so I could give them what? My own life. I can give them eternal life. The abundant life. And so if you, are with, if you haven't entered into the sheepfold of Christ today, you are in mortal danger. There are thieves that through the media through the possessions and power of this present darkness and the allurement of this culture and your own flesh, they're seeking to steal and kill and destroy you. The voice of the shepherd calls out here today through the Spirit, through this Word, and He says, Come, To me, all who are weary and heavy laden, come, I'll give you rest. This is the place of salvation and safety and sustenance and satisfaction and that forever. Come. Listen to my voice. Hear my voice. And then He called us. You remember that day when He called you out of the sheepfold of this world? When for whatever reason, not because of you, He unplugged your ears and you heard the voice of the shepherd. You saw your sin. You heard His voice. He called you by name and you came and you entered in to the abundant life. Oh, but you didn't come alone. It's such a blessed truth. Verse 15, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I love this. Speaking to the Jews, now he says, I have other sheep. That's us, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock. With one shepherd notice the change in terms. It goes from fold to flock. A fold is some external contain, containment, which really speaks of all, of all external religion, and even Judaism itself has a containment. But now, right, Jews right, are brought out of that, and Gentiles from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, in their tongue, they're brought, they hear the voice of the shepherd, and they're made one flock, not a fold anymore, one flock, one people, united. Together, following the shepherd. It said that sheep have three things: they have ears and hearts and feet, ears to hear his voice, because of the heart made soft to love the shepherd and a and feet that follow. So Jesus in this abundant life, we're not alone, we're never gonna be alone. He's got a people, he's called out a people from all the nations, and we get to be a part. And we're safe in this, aren't we? Are you sure that you're safe? Do you think safety is a big deal for the good shepherd? you think I'm overselling this? Let's find out. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 of John chapter 10. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe... The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give what? Eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No, no sin in the context, no death in the context, no blindness or trial, no thief, no false teacher, no wolf will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29 My Father, my Father who has given them. The Father gave a people to the Son. Will you die for them? I will die for them. The Spirit came and unplugged your ears to hear the voice of Christ, to become part of the people of God. The triune plan of God, to call a people to Himself. My Father, who has given them, that's the sheep, given them to Me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. They're in the grip of the Son. You, believer, are in the grip of the Son and then the grip of the Father, the double grip of the Father and the Son, one in a plan of salvation, one in essence. I and the Father are one. We will not lose any. The triune God has you in the grip, in their eternal grip. And this, safety, is eternal life. Now, they knew, the Jews knew what Jesus was saying about himself. They picked up stones to stone him. They heard the claims of deity in this passage. The other day, I was in the coffee shop, as you can imagine, and a man came poorly dressed. He couldn't find a place to sit. It was busy in there. And he sat at a big table, I admit. Probably should have had a smaller table. He sat by me, slammed his big old Bible down that said Jesus saves across of it. I invited him to sit at my table. I began to witness to him. He said he'd been living out of his car for two years. And I said, Jesus is what you need. If you have Jesus, you have everything, I said. And he said, I tried Jesus and he didn't help. He hasn't worked for me. Eternal life is not helping me right now. That raises a fair question. How can you experience this abundant life when you're living out of your car? Or how can you experience right now this abundant life when your three-year-old daughter has passed suddenly? The answer is this, it really is, knowing Jesus, really knowing Jesus, not by going to Jesus to get joy, that's different, no, no, that's different, no, by knowing Jesus, you will find joy. In his presence. Saved in Jesus, safe in Jesus, sustained in Jesus, satisfied in Jesus. This is knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus and the abundant life is best explained, and we'll close with this by Psalm 23. You say, what is the abundant life? It's Psalm 23. It's being in this relationship. So in light of the sermon, listen fresh to Psalm 23 as we close. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet, Waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lucy will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.